Hello and welcome to the Big Happy Life podcast. This week we're talking about how to craft your own 60-minute retreat. I had planned to get this episode to you last week, but it's the summer holidays, I'm still working, and my kids are home all day. So I'm a little bit behind schedule, I hope you'll forgive me, they're out for 20 minutes and I'm going to get this done. Last week I explained a little bit about what the 60 minute retreat is and why and how it works. But before we go into how you craft your own, there's a couple more things that I thought might be useful to add and to share with you to help you get a sense of why you would do something like this and what your aim is when you do it. Knowing that will help you decide whether or not this is something you want to take forward and if you do, how you would craft your own. The cornerstone of understanding why you would do a 60-minute retreat is to understand that thoughts have corresponding feelings. And so how you think has a massive part to play in how you feel. And by the same token, your feelings and the physical sensations that arise in your body accompanying feelings will also trigger corresponding thoughts. So it's really important to understand that that mechanism is always in play. In one direction or the other, thoughts are impacting feelings and feelings are impacting thoughts. And from there, how you think and how you feel impacts the decisions you make and how you interact with the world around you and the people in that world. So basically, if you look around in your life and there are relationships that aren't the way you want them to be or situations that don't feel the way you want them to feel, then it might be worth recalibrating the thoughts and feelings you take into those relationships and into those situations. I think for a lot of us, we don't actually register what we bring with us. Like for me, My whole life, I have had this really judgmental, critical voice in my head. And from what I can gather, I'm not alone in that. Most people I talk to about this kind of thing are like, oh yeah, me too, totally get that. The thing with me was that I thought that voice was a source of motivation. I thought people who didn't have that voice were somehow weaker, like not pushing themselves hard enough. Those people weren't owning up to their flaws and kind of looking themselves in the mirror and saying, well, you suck. But if you stop sucking and start doing better, then that's a good thing. I used to think that was just the voice of reason. But then when that was the voice I was taking with me into my relationships with my kids, and my husband for that matter, I saw how destructive it could be. More so with my kids, because they absorb this stuff like little sponges. There's no filter telling them, okay, take this bit, but leave that bit. That's probably not going to help me. They take the whole lot in and they absorb it all. And when I started to hear it played back, my daughter would say things like, yeah, well, I'm not very good at focusing, or my memory's not very good. And even though those were never phrases I actually said to her, they were things that she picked up just in the way I interacted with her. And I realized I was just plugging in all these limiting beliefs. I was setting her up to run the exact same loops I have run my whole life. So the first thing I tried to do was to intercept that nasty judgmental voice. So I'd be sitting with her doing homework and I'd hear those things in my head and I would think, okay, don't, don't bring that. That's not going to help. And I would try and kind of manually override it. But that was exhausting and unhelpful. And in terms of my own mental health and my own clarity, it seemed to make things worse because it was almost like I was trying to split myself into two people. Now, one of the things I talk about at work with corporate clients and leaders in organizations is that often if you create a space in which people can do their best, they generally, quite naturally, do their best. If you sit them down and say, hey, you've got to do your best, well, that doesn't generally do it. 
But that's basically what I was doing too. And so what the 60-minute retreat was all about was about creating a space in which, quite naturally, I would be able to let things like kindness, compassion, empathy, patience, I would be able to let those things naturally float to the surface rather than saying to myself, come on, you've got to be patient. Be kinder. You're not being kind. So the retreat works on the basis that those things exist within us and that what we're doing is creating a space in which they can naturally float to the surface and we can learn about ourselves in the process to figure out what makes it work. In my case, what makes me more patient? What makes me feel kinder? What makes me more compassionate? What turns that voice down in my head so that I can't hear it and instead I can hear a voice that is actually helpful and that if I listen to it will lead me in exactly the right direction. So that's what the 60-minute retreat is all about. It's about clearing away all the usual stuff that's in the way so that you can let the good stuff that already resides in you simply float to the surface. Now if you're thinking, well hang on a minute, what if it doesn't already reside in me? And that's where maybe you need a little bit of faith. I would hazard that when you were a kid, your ability to live in the moment was likely strong. Which means as long as the situation lent itself to feelings of ease or positivity or enjoyment or whatever, you would have had the ability to experience those things. And as I say to my coaching clients, if it's possible once, it's possible. What we have to figure out is how to replicate it. So the 60-minute retreat is about making it possible, first of all. But when you engage in them often enough, you also learn how to replicate it. So in my case, I'm finding now that I do them a bit more regularly, probably once or twice a week, I went through a little phase of doing them every day, but after a while they start to lose their glow if you do them too much. I've actually begun to learn how to cultivate patience in myself, kindness, compassion, empathy, calm. I promise you those were never things I thought I had a handle on. And if I'm going to be completely honest, I still don't 100% have a handle on them. But the patterns are moving in the right direction because gradually, over time, what's happening is instead of that judgmental, nasty, critical voice, the frequency with which I'm hearing the other calm, rational, kind voice, the one I want to listen to, the frequency of that voice being louder than the nasty one, is increasing. My ability to access calm after tension is increasing. And my ability to accept stress and know that I can bring myself back down is also increasing. So over time, what's basically happening is I am learning the skills in the retreat. I learn the skills required to access the thoughts and feelings that I need to help myself. And in doing so, I then can bring those feelings into the relationships that matter to me most. If all of that sounds good to you and it's something you want to bring into your life, then the 60-minute retreat is something that you may want to take up. Everything I cover from here on is in the show notes as well. You'll find them at bighappylife.blog and bighappylife.co.uk. So the first thing you need to do, step one, is you need to figure out what feelings you want to cultivate. I've created a downloadable worksheet for you to help with kind of figuring this out. It's just full of coaching questions and you can work through them at your own pace. You can either do this as a kind of precursor, so you do it before your first 60-minute retreat, or you can do it as part of your first 60-minute retreat. My recommendation would be to do it as a kind of precursor exercise. 
And that way, when the time comes to do your first retreat, you know what you're focusing on and you've got everything set up the way you want it for that particular focus. I'd also recommend getting yourself a journal that you really like writing in. Ideally, one that you keep for this. If you choose not to download the worksheet, the main thing you need to do is kind of think about the various aspects of your life. So think about your relationships at work, think about your relationships at home, think about your relationship with yourself, how you talk to yourself, all those kinds of things. And consider, how do you want to be at work or with your kids or with yourself? What feeling or vibe do you want to bring with you into the room? And how do you need to feel in order for that to happen? Now, as you do this exercise, it's really important that you focus on what you want, not what you don't want. So if I use my own example, I would be writing about the fact that I want to bring patience and kindness into the room with me. And for me to be able to do that, I have to feel calm. I want to feel open-minded. I want to trust in my abilities. I don't write, I want to be less judgmental and critical because that maintains the focus on the judgment and the criticism. And then it's still a bit like trying to push it out the way. Actually, there's quite a nice analogy that I learned on a meditation course last year, where our teacher talked to us about how the mind is a bit like the sea and all of those kind of tumultuous, angry, fearful thoughts that we have are like the waves on the surface. So the surface can be really stormy and frothy and there's lots of what looks like chaos. And so trying to fight against what we perceive as negativity or those judgmental thoughts and those criticisms that we have of ourselves or other people is a bit like trying to fight the waves. But what our teacher explained to us is that, again, when you think about the ocean, no matter what is happening at the surface, when you go to the depths, it's always calm. And he explained that the same is true for us. So in meditation, what ends up happening is you learn how to find the spaces between your thoughts. And that helps you to kind of sink to the depths, to leave behind the tumultuous surface thoughts. Not to push them out the way, not to fight them, but just to find the space and the calm between them. And that's exactly what you're doing in the 60-minute retreat is you're not fighting your thoughts. You're not trying to change who you are. You're not trying to stop being one way so you can be another way. All of that would be like fighting the waves. What you're doing is you're allowing yourself the time and space required to access the depths, to access what's already there and just allow yourself to experience what it feels like, to understand what you have access to and give yourself a chance to experience what it's like to focus on those things instead of focusing on all the other stuff that's noisier and louder and stormier and that so much more easily grabs your attention. So at the beginning, what you might find is that the 60-minute retreat, you feel pretty good and you're relaxed and you're calm or you've got whatever that feeling is that you were going for. And at first, it might be difficult to experience that outside of the retreat. But over time, what you'll find is that it starts to become easier. It's almost like the more often you go to the depths, the calmer the surface becomes anyway. So for this part, for step one, you're not focusing on the waves. You're focusing on when you go to the depths, what are you hoping to find? If you can bring something back with you, what do you want it to be? And how would you use it? What would that look like? So that's step one. 
kind of define your goal state. Step two is to go through what you've written and identify some of the patterns that you notice. What are the key themes in the types of emotions or the types of thoughts that if cultivated would lead you to create the relationships that you want or to achieve the results in your life that you want? And once you've identified the themes, one or more of those themes becomes the focus of your 60-minute retreat. So as I mentioned before, I would do that before you do your first retreat. That way you know what you're focused on and then you shape everything else around it. So now to actually crafting the retreat. And the first thing is to set the scene. The brain is incredibly influenced by environment. So if you were going for cultivating calm and you're trying to do so in a completely untidy space, covered with kids' toys, somebody running up and down screaming, it's highly unlikely that the surroundings are going to contribute anything positive to your experience. So setting the scene involves choosing a time and a place where you can give yourself an hour away from all of the things that normally pile on top of you and perhaps all the people who create some of the noise that's in your life. So this is a quiet time for you and your focus. Even if it means you have to do it in your car, that's not impossible, but make sure it's tidy, take something out there that's comforting and comfortable, wear your favorite comfy clothes, whatever, it doesn't matter, as long as whatever you're doing, when you look around or you become aware of any kind of physical sensations, that those things contribute something useful to whatever the feeling is you're trying to cultivate. All right, so that's setting the scene. The next thing is the activities that you do. The activities fall into four headings, and I have a little acronym for them, which is SIMR, S-I-M-R. Now, I know that's not spelled correctly, but that's the easiest way to remember it, SIMR, S-I-M-R. And they stand for stillness, information or inspiration, movement, and recording. Within your retreat, you then pick activities that fit under one or more of those headings. I find three or four different activities is optimal, but depending on what you're experiencing, you could just pick one or two if that suits you better. The point isn't how many activities you do, it's that you pick activities that will ultimately lead you during that one hour period to connect more with the feeling you're trying to cultivate. The first heading is stillness. And so in this part of your retreat, you pick an activity that is about you becoming still, both physically and mentally. For me, this is my meditation. So my normal practice would be to do transcendental meditation. But depending on the focus of my retreat, I sometimes pick guided meditations or different meditations that I have learned as part of courses I've gone on, like Jeffrey Allen's Duality that's on Mind Valley or some of Deepak Chopra's meditations that are on YouTube. So under the heading of stillness, I basically practice a variety of different things depending on what I'm hoping to focus on during the retreat. If you don't meditate or you prefer some other form of stillness, perhaps other mindfulness activities or prayer or anything like that, then those would be the activities to fit in under this heading. Anything that brings you calm and stillness, that kind of clears the decks, and if we go back to that water analogy, it allows you to sink below the surface of perhaps some of the thoughts and the patterns that are in the way of you accessing the calmer, clearer, perhaps more positive emotions that you are focusing on in your retreat. Generally, I spend about 15 to 20 minutes 
doing something under the heading of stillness. So that's your S in simmer. The next thing is inspiration or information. Now the goal here is to bring something from outside yourself in. A couple of weeks ago, I recorded an episode that was about source material for your thoughts. Left to their own devices, our brains will run the same loops over and over again, quite simply because it's efficient and it increases the feeling of certainty. As far as our brains are concerned and the reward circuits within our brains, certainty is far more appealing than accuracy. So something that you're running over and over again, even if it's destructive, if it increases that feeling of I know where I am and I know what I'm doing, everything sucks, but I know that, your brain will keep you in those loops because it's safer there. And so sometimes when we're trying to cultivate something new, we've got to go outside of ourselves in order to break those patterns. Fortunately, with access to the internet, that is quite easy to do. So activities under this heading would involve things like finding podcasts, books, YouTube videos, any media, any information that when you access it, opens doors in your mind. It gives you new perspectives. It gives you new vantage points. You start exploring your thoughts, your perspective, your viewpoints, and you begin testing your assumptions and the things you kind of rely on, the patterns that are running in the background. And the thing that makes this different from just listening to a podcast as part of your morning routine or reading a book as part of your morning routine or an afternoon where you're sitting with a cup of coffee and having a little bit of chill time and reading something is that as you access the information, you do so with your focus feeling in mind. So you're listening and reading and taking in information with a view to helping yourself experience the emotion you're going for. And what that requires is an awareness of what's happening in your mind as you read or listen or watch. You start paying attention to the thoughts that are being sparked. If your thoughts kind of bring to life the feeling you're going for, then you know you're on the right track. And if they don't, you can consider how you might change them. How would you need to think instead? Now, this is an important part of the process because this is where you are beginning to shape your thoughts. And we know that thoughts trigger feelings. So using source material that helps you ignite the feelings you're going for is great. And while you interact with that source material, becoming aware of how you're thinking can help you identify the patterns and habits in your thought processes and how those might be shaping how you feel on an everyday basis. And when you start paying attention at that level, you become an observer of your thoughts, which gives you this really cool control. And from that vantage point, you begin to learn how to shape your thoughts or at least notice when they're running away with you and where they take you. And you start to notice how different thoughts make you feel. So this activity is about bringing in as much useful source information as you can from a variety of places, watching, listening, reading, and just filling your head with stuff that will help in some way lead you towards experiencing those feelings that you want to experience. So that's the I in Simmer, and that's information and inspiration. The M is movement. In this part of the retreat, you pick an activity that might be going for a walk, it might be doing some yoga, a HIIT workout, anything at all that gets your body moving. The activity you choose will depend on the feeling you're trying to cultivate. So as an example, when I'm going for energy and focus, perhaps when I'm doing something like I'm running a new training course and I've written all the materials and I'm facing a new audience and I just wanna be really sharp, 
then I might do a HIIT workout on that day. But when I was at home with my kids during lockdown and I was homeschooling them, my retreats generally included yoga. Because more often than not, the feeling I was wanting to cultivate was in some way related to calm, gentleness, kindness, and the kinds of things that when you slow down and listen to your breathing and feel your body as you stretch and move, it becomes this kind of slow awareness that was exactly the same thing I needed when I was sitting with my kids trying to do maths with them. The difference between movement as part of your retreat and exercising as part of your routine is that once again, you are focusing on a feeling. It's not about burning calories or stretching muscles. It's about calibrating your system, learning how your mind and body communicate, learning what the signals sound like and feel like, learning how your thoughts affect your body and how your body affects your thoughts and feelings. One of the really interesting things I found as a result of movement as part of my retreats is that I could often feel the day before's tension in my muscles. And so I would really focus on letting go of some of the things that I might have been holding on to and kind of freeing myself so I could access that space of calm and gentleness and kindness. In the old days of doing just morning routine, that would have never been the case. I used to wake up, I'd feel achy and sore, and I would berate myself, usually because I'd probably had a glass or two of wine the night before, and I would think, you deserve to feel rough, and now you need to sweat it out. I'd push myself through a HIIT workout, every part of me would be aching and I'd be like, just keep going. But it wasn't until I learned how to be kinder to myself that I started to make enough progress that the wine wasn't necessary anymore and I didn't wake up feeling achy and I could actually do other things. So if you find yourself in those kinds of loops, that's another reason to do the 60 minute retreat. Because what you begin to see is gradual incremental changes in a positive direction. So choose your movement activity, paying close attention to how your body feels and with focus on that particular feeling that you're going for. And then as you go through the exercise, in just the same way as you did with the I, information and inspiration, pay attention to what's happening between your mind and body, how your thoughts are affecting how you feel and where you need to catch some of those loops and possibly make some changes or where your thoughts are exactly aligned with the feelings you want to cultivate. So all of these activities are giving you opportunities to observe the connections between your mind and body as you do the different things. And over time, a picture builds up and you begin to spot the patterns, which gives you power over them when they show up in your day-to-day -day life. And that's one of the key goals with Big Happy Life is about feeling in control. This is one of the key practices that allows you to do that. And that brings us to the final letter in Simmer, which is R for record. This activity is all about writing in your journal, or if you hate writing, possibly keeping a video diary. Maybe because I love doing the podcast, I quite enjoy making voice notes. And then I just save them to my phone with a date and a little caption so I can find my way back to the ones I wanna to listen to again. This activity is really good for keeping track of your progress, and it's also really good for making sense of some of the patterns that you identify when you've done some of the other activities. The links between your thoughts and your feelings or emotions can be really hard to pin down. And so this activity is one of the best for helping you do that. I generally only find I need about five to 10 minutes maximum. So there's still plenty of time to do the other things, but this one really is useful for bringing everything together. And that's it. Crafting your 60 minute retreat involves picking anything from two to four activities under those headings and doing them with your key focus feeling in mind. 
If you already have a routine where you do this sort of thing, maybe a kind of morning routine where you spend an hour doing these sorts of activities, then the main difference is just gonna be a shift in focus. So rather than the focus being on the activities in their own right, the focus is on your internal patterns of thought and feeling. If you like this idea and you wanna gather some resources or ask any questions, you can join the Facebook group. It's titled 60 Minute Retreats. It's a new group at the moment, so you'd be one of the first people to join and you'd have my undivided attention. You can ask any questions and I can help you create your retreats once I understand where you'd like to focus and what you'd like to do. And as the community grows in that group, we'll start running group retreats. So we'll have a focus or a theme and then anyone who wants to join can be on that retreat. It'll be led by me. We'll have guest speakers and we'll have people doing yoga or HIIT workouts or various other things with us for the movement part. You'll have time to reflect and there'll be questions and resources available to you to help you do that. So that group is on Facebook and you'll find it at 60 Minute Retreats. As always, the show notes for this episode are at bighappylife.blog and bighappylife.co.uk. And that's where you'll find that downloadable resource I mentioned to you earlier on in the podcast. So if you'd like some help figuring out, you know, where do you want to focus? What feeling do you want to calibrate? Then head to the show notes and you'll be able to download that resource straight from there. In case you're wondering, I didn't finish this in the 20 minute window I had. I started this podcast yesterday, but it ended up saying a lot more than I intended. I hope you enjoyed it. I'd love to hear your comments, but for now, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.